Let's open this morning with Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, which Brother Gerald referred to in his prayer, to give us a New Testament direction as to why the Old Testament has profit for us. Romans 15 and verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The Old Testament, including the books of Kings, Chronicles, and Isaiah, were written for our learning. And we are to learn the patience, which is cheerfully enduring negative events, and the comfort of how God is able to deliver people from their negative events so that we ourselves might have hope in God, an expectation of good things in the midst of our negative circumstances. Let's also look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 for a second witness from the New Testament as to the value of the old. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verses 6 through 10, there is a list of errors and punishments by God upon the church of the Old Testament given. And Paul's summary in verse 11 reads like this. Now all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. We are living in the last stages of the world because this is the New Testament. This is the last dispensation that God has for this world. And the things that happened to the church of the Old Testament happened to them to be an example to us and to admonish us. That's to put us in mind of our duties toward God. Now let us turn to 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. We want to consider the life of King Hezekiah and the lessons that we can derive from it. We're taking a one-week break from our verse-by-verse exposition of Romans to learn some of these lessons. The Holy Spirit chose to dedicate 1% of the Bible to King Hezekiah. 11 chapters of the 1,189 in the Bible are about this man. He's written about in three different books, Second Kings, Second Chronicles, and Isaiah, which is very unusual. And based on one of our minor laws of Bible interpretation, the law of emphasis, when the Holy Spirit emphasizes something, we understand that it's to be important to us Amen. and that we should read it and learn it. There's much to be gleaned from Hezekiah's life more than just historical facts or entertainment for children. There's a lot of lessons in this man's life for us. Of all the events in a man who ruled Judah for 29 years, there's only a few mentioned. But remember, they're ones specially chosen by God the Holy Spirit to have value for us. And the words that are around them and their description in the Bible is for our learning. It's to, it's to guide us into what we are to pick up from that particular event in his life. We trust every word of God that way. The Holy Spirit has selected the good events and the bad events of his life for us to know about. Every believer that is sincere, every true worshiper of God will want to learn about Hezekiah to be more like him. 
I want to begin, and this is the hardest part of this, of a subject like this. I have 11 chapters. We could easily spend many weeks on Hezekiah. I want to see if we can do it in one by hitting the main events of his life and hitting the high points of those events. I would like to start with his epitaph. An epitaph are the words written about a person when they die or after they die, often on their tombstone, that describe the man's life in summary fashion. So let's start at 2 Kings 18 with verse 3. And this is what we should aspire to in our daily lives. This is how we should conduct ourselves that God might say such things about us as well. 2 Kings 18.3 And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places, and brake the images, and cut down the groves, and brake in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. And he called it Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord God of Israel so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. For he clave to the Lord, and departed not from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him, and he prospered whithersoever he went forth. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria, and served him not. He smote the Philistines even unto Gaza, and the borders thereof, from the tower of the watchmen to the fenced city. This is the Lord's epitaph here. He was a great king, better than almost all, for he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. The Lord compares him favorably to David, who was his favorite. He aggressively corrected every religious abuse and every religious error that Judah had. Right tearing down their groves, tearing down their idols, and restoring the worship of the temple. He even took down Moses' brass serpent that I've preached to you about before, calling it Nehushtan, a thing of brass. Why in the world are you worshiping this religious relic? It has no power for you, and he destroyed it. Praise the Lord for Hezekiah. I hope you remember that sermon. It's perfect for those who still trust in the Old Testament Sabbath. It's exactly the same thing to be worshiping on Saturday in the year 2010 as to be bowing and scraping before Moses' brass serpent. Neither of them apply to this time that we're in. He claved to the Lord. The Bible tells us that. To cleave to the Lord, to clave to Him is to stick to Him tightly. He stuck tightly to the Lord. That's a great testimony of a man. He trusted in God more completely in the Holy Spirit's judgment than any other king of Judah before or after. It says king of Judah. David and Solomon were kings of Israel. If you just want to have a little bit of help on where does he fit in. But compared to Jehoshaphat and Josiah, Josiah is listed as a better king in other matters. But you read the word of God very carefully. In the matter of trusting in God... Hezekiah did it better. Because of the above, the Lord was with him and prospered him no matter what he tried to do. God summarized his efforts in this way. And let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 31. 
Before we go there, chapter 20 of 2 Kings. This is the hard part, knowing which of the references I ought to let you see. I hope that you'll read all 11 chapters. Do you realize that with a little bit of effort this past week and a little bit of effort this coming week, you can know 1% of the Bible? Just like that. A few hours. You can know 11 chapters. Ask me your questions. If you have questions, email me about any of the verses in there so that you can see how the whole thing fits together. 2 Kings 20 and verse 20. And the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and all his might and how he made a pool and a conduit and brought water into the city. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And yes, some of them are written there. He had a civil engineering project of bringing water from an upper stream down into the city of Jerusalem by a system of conduits, pipes, and underground subterranean passages to supply water to a pool there to increase and improve the water supply of Jerusalem. It was, it was marvelous enough that the Holy Spirit wants it noted in a verse here and a couple of other places. Let's now turn to Second Chronicles 29, and we are... You might want to stick something in your Bible at 2 Kings 18, 2 Chronicles 29, and Isaiah 36. But let's go to 2 Chronicles 29. What we're doing right now is we're gathering his epitaph. What does the Bible say about him to provoke our interest in learning about him so that we can be like him? Psalm 37, 37 tells us, Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. Did Hezekiah end up in peace? Are his final words that we have recorded, Good is the word of the Lord, for he's given peace to me in my life. Mark the perfect man and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. That's a huge difference in life. Second Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 2, we're looking for statements of Hezekiah's epitaph. What the Lord had to say of him. 29.2, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Chapter 31 of Chronicles. And verse 20. 31.20. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and wrought that which was good, and right, and truth, before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, and in the law, and in the commandments, to seek his God, he did it with all his heart and prospered. What an epitaph, brethren. If the Lord were to reveal, by a hand coming out and writing on one of the walls of this meeting place, what he thinks of your life, what would he write? We aspire to this kind of greatness in the sight of God. May the Lord bless every sincere heart, achieve such a noble end. Chapter 32 and verse 23. And many brought gifts unto the Lord to Jerusalem and presents to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was magnified in the sight of all nations from thenceforth. From the 14th year of his reign until the 29th year of his reign when he died, for the last 15 years of his life, he was magnified throughout the world by other nations for the great things God had done to him, with him, and by him. 
Let's look at verse 27. Hezekiah had exceeding much riches and honor. And he made himself treasuries for silver and for gold and for precious stones and for spices and for shields and for all manner of pleasant jewels. Storehouses also for the increase of corn and wine and oil and stalls for all manner of beasts and coats for flocks. Moreover, he provided him cities and possessions of flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him substance very much. This same Hezekiah also stopped the upper water course of Gihon and brought it straight down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. Verse 32, Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his goodness, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos and in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the chiefest of the sepulchres of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death. Praise the Lord. Hezekiah was buried in the chiefest of the sepulchres of David's royal sons. And you've just heard the words that the Holy Spirit chose to give us of the man's greatness, of his honor from all nations, of his honor from God, of his honor from Israel, of Judah, and his wealth, and his abundance, and his prosperity, and the Lord's blessing on everything he did. He was far different from his father. And so we want to consider his origin. His father was not buried in the sepulchers of the kings, Because his father was a wicked man. And the lesson that we can learn right off the bat about Hezekiah is, it doesn't matter what kind of a family you came from. It doesn't matter what your parents did or did not do. You will stand before God and give an account for yourself. All of Ezekiel 18 and 33, much of 33, are dedicated to that subject. Israel accused God of not being fair and equal in his ways. And he said, oh, yes, I am fair. I don't care how wicked a man is. If his son will repent of his wickedness and turn unto me and live righteously, I will bless that man and forgive him his sins. It doesn't matter where you came from. That is an excuse of the lazy. Anytime you hear it, you're hearing a lazy man try to excuse himself. God doesn't care where you came from. Ahaz was a terrible king. And if you go back to 2 Kings chapter 18 and look at the verses prior to it, we can find out about Ahaz. It's in 2 Chronicles. I'm not going to take you there right now. Just come back to 2 Kings 18. 2 Kings 18. His father was King Ahaz of Judah. A wicked king that was denied a royal burial, but Hezekiah as soon as he got in office, completely changed everything his father did. He had no regard for his father in all matters of religion and politics and business that were not according to God's word. He was going to follow the Lord God, his father, through the commandments of Moses, and he did so. And he changed everything very quickly. His grandfather was King Jotham of Judah, a good king and better than his father Uzziah. The Bible tells us that. Isaiah was his great-grandfather. His mother was Abijah. We don't know a thing about her, but we do know what his name means. Hezekiah. Two components, typical of many Hebrew names. Hezek, strength, might, 
power. Ayah. I-A-H. Short suffix, short form for Jehovah. Jehovah is my might. Jehovah is my strength. Jehovah is my power. Hezekiah. Thank you, Lord. The prophets that were contemporary with him, that the Bible tells us plainly about, were Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah. And when you read those three prophets, you should understand that they are prophesying contemporary with the king Hezekiah. Brethren, God is able to break generational sins. God is able to break family traditions of wickedness. God is able to break that apart and bless a man no matter where he comes from. That's the first little lesson we come across by considering his origin. We now want to turn to Second Chronicles 29. 2 Chronicles 29. Did you notice as we read in the last few verses of Second Chronicles 32 that there was reference there to the fact that God had written these things not only in Chronicles, but in Kings and in Isaiah. The Holy Spirit telling us that there's unique treatment for the events of Hezekiah's life because they're recorded in three places rather than just two. The first event we want to take care of in his life and look at is Second Chronicles 29. The whole chapter is dedicated to his reformation. How old was Hezekiah when he became king? Twenty-five. And he reigned for how long? Twenty-nine years. So he died in the 54th year of his life. In what year did he get his great sickness? 39 plus 15 equals 54. So at 39, he had a terminal illness. We want to keep that in mind. But we're going to read about him taking office in 2 Chronicles 29. And who in here is 25 years old? Get that hand up. Travis. Matthew, Joel, praise God. I have some victims today. I have some young men that are 25 years old. I want you to think about Hezekiah and what he did the first day in office. Oh, Lord, help us to see it in the limited time we have. Immediately upon becoming king, he began religious reformation of the nation. Immediately. Look at verse 3 of chapter 29. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first months, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. They'd been locked up and barred because his father, King Ahaz, had seen that there was a neat-looking altar and temple and idol in Israel, in Damascus. And so he brought it into Jerusalem. He had one built there. He had closed up the house of the Lord. The first day in office, he didn't care what his father had done. His father was wrong. He had a father in heaven that he cared about more. He was going to worship God and not follow his father's foolish tradition. So it tells us, and I love this, in the first year of his reign, 25 years old, in the first month of the first year of his reign, opened the doors of the house of the Lord, repaired them. Can you, can you, can you understand his heart leading up to his coronation? He is thinking, what's been going on in this nation is wrong. What my father has been doing is wrong, and I'm going to change it as soon as I have an opportunity to change it. 
And as soon as he was crowned king, he goes straight to that temple and gets those doors open. Things are going to change. And that was his signal statement to the nation and to the Lord that he was going to restore the worship of Jehovah in Judah. Verse 17 helps clarify this by saying, Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. There we have it again. The first day of the first month of King Hezekiah's reign. What does he do? He charged the priests and the Levites to clean the the house of God out and prepare it for right worship. God's worship has always had to have his things sanctified, meaning that they are set apart by a ceremony of consecration for God's use. And only the priests could do that. And so the Levites and priests went to work as fast as they could. Did you read about it in verse 4? He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, now he's a 25-year-old young man. Here's a 25-year-old young man addressing 50-year-old priests. Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. And he goes on to describe how that house had been neglected and because of its neglect, God was judging the nation of Judah. And he tells them in verse 10, Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons. Wait a minute. How old is he? He's 25 and he's addressing 50-year-old men. Because as king, they were his sons. My sons, be not now negligent. For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. God's chosen you, priests and Levites, for his worship. Now I'm charging you because I have in my mind to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel and to turn this nation back to him. Now you get busy on the first day of my reign to get in there and get that filthiness out of the temple. It was filthy. It was full of junk. It had been boarded up. It had become a storage warehouse. And they pulled that stuff out and hauled it down and threw it in the brook Kydron. And they got it cleaned up. He was able to identify God's judgment upon the nation for their lack of righteousness. Look at his bold direction and zeal. Do you have a zeal for the worship of God like that, that you want it done in the due order? Young men, sons, do you have a zeal for the house of God, that everything should be done right? And everything should be consecrated to the Lord. And that we should do it with our zeal. And that God's judgment will be upon us if we compromise or neglect this house of God that he's given us. He hasn't given us a temple like Solomon built. He's given us a temple of the New Testament, which is right here in a body of believers that have come together around the Lord Jesus Christ. What efforts do you put forth to build this body? You're 25 years old. Are you letting your life go to waste? Hezekiah only lived to be 54, a God-blessed man. That's only 29 years. Are you as committed today to serve the Lord as Hezekiah was his first day in office? I love the man for this. I could just hang on those words in verse 3, that in the first month, 
in the first day of the first month, he went to work. And you know he'd been planning this. He couldn't wait till he had the authority to do what is right. And you young men, and when you get married and you have a wife, you make sure that your marriage is pleasing to the Lord in every way that it should be. That you're a godly husband. That you don't care what any man thinks, any man says. You pattern your marriage after God's Word. As God gives you children, you make sure that you're the kind of father that God's Word describes. You don't care what any father has done before you because you want the Word of God first. Every one of us. Let's learn a lesson. Let's do it early. They that seek me early shall find me. It says of wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8. By his bold direction and zeal, the priests and Levites hurried the matter in verses 12 through 19. They went to work and they did it and cleaned it up as fast as they could. As soon as it was sanctified for worship, he led a great worship service to God. And it's in verses 20 through 36 of this 29th chapter. And now the Holy Spirit wants you to know that things were happening bang, bang, bang. Because look at the 36th verse. Let's cheat and go ahead and look at the end of this chapter. Hezekiah rejoiced, and all the people that were invited, it was a small congregation compared to what's going to happen in the next chapter, that God had prepared the people for the thing was done suddenly. When one man in a position of authority gets convicted about serving God with zeal, look what God did with the people under him. He prepared their hearts so that it came together very fast. The priests and the Levites didn't scorn King Hezekiah. They didn't take their time. They didn't pace themselves through the job of purging the temple and consecrating it. They went about it with zeal because God had prepared their hearts because of one man getting convicted to serve the Lord zealously. Young men. Hear about Hezekiah. And rejoice in this 25-year-old. Look at verse 20 about this worship service. You know, we I can't go through this verse by verse. Forgive me. Read it. Read it again this week. I'm just going to help you hit some high points. And use my privilege of sharing some of my favorite verses with you from these 11 chapters. Look at verse 20. As soon as they got the thing consecrated and sanctified for use... That is the temple of God. Then Hezekiah the king got up leisurely since he was king and had a big breakfast. No, then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. Every, there is in the word of God, there isn't a word wasted by the Holy Spirit. Some of you drag in here late. I don't understand that. You are guaranteeing your failure in life. It's that simple. I promise you. I guarantee it on the authority of God's Word. You drag in here late, barely able to get here on time. This is the house of God and the worship of the Lord Jehovah. You're nothing like Hezekiah. The easiest thing in the world is to get out of bed. All you have to do is fall out. Just roll over in the wrong direction. You'll fall out. Get up. You say, 
These are little lessons that you're bringing out. Well, they're big lessons. It shows a man's heart. Did we read about this man that everything he did to seek the Lord, he did with all his might? Do you know what that means? He was never late. He was early. I like verse 20. I hope you like it. Young men. I know young men love to sleep. That's why you need sermons like this. He made sure that there were offerings offered for everyone because he was going to confess the sins of everyone. Look at verse 24. They brought seven bullocks and seven rams and seven lambs and seven he goats for a sin offering. Watch for the kingdom. He knew that his kingdom was stained by his father. Sacrifices for the kingdom and for the sanctuary. That's the temple. And for Judah, all the sins of the people for their groves and idols that they had. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. Do you see this man? He's everywhere. Do it. He commanded them. They knew what they were supposed to do. it. Get this worship service going. Offer these sacrifices. Verse 24 tells us that his, he had a big vision. And that was, would God forgive the ten tribes as well as the two? Would he forgive the rest of the nation? So it says in verse 24, the priests killed them and they made reconciliation with their blood upon the altar to make an atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. He didn't have a narrow vision and he didn't have an exclusive vision. Those ten tribes had fought the two tribes And hundreds of thousands of men on both sides had been killed over the years. But here is Hezekiah wanting God to forgive and praying for the forgiveness of the ten tribes. That kind of mercy and that kind of zeal and that kind of confidence in God's forgiveness leads to great things. Look, when you read these passages, I am begging you to read slowly. Feast on every word. Look at his forgiveness. If you have bitterness in your heart, you're nothing like Hezekiah. There were so many dead memorial, memorials of the dead in Judah, of what Israel had done to them, and yet he's praying for the forgiveness of those people. Now this man loved to praise God. And so he got David's praise band revived. According to the Old Testament Scriptures, He brought out all the musical instruments that David had invented. David was a genius. David invented numerous musical instruments. The Old Testament refers to them repeatedly. David wrote the lyrics for the songs. David and Asaph together wrote the organization of how the choirs and the trumpeters should work together. And old King Hezekiah, he got them all arranged in the first month of his reign. He got the choir ready. He's in the Old Testament. You shouldn't need my explanation. He got the trumpeters ready. He got the orchestra ready. And he told them to get busy. He Look at verse 25. He set the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with psalteries, and with harps, according to the commandment of David, and of Gad the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. For so was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. He did not... If you read carefully, he did not do this just because David did it. He did it because God had inspired the prophecy of how he wanted his worship services to be conducted. Right. 
Did you, do you notice in the words that it's not just because of David, Gad, and Nathan, but because of their inspiration from God for what they had ordained? You've, every verse, brethren, every verse is important. Don't you dare ever worry about what we have done before you when you sit in here when it comes to measuring what you're doing by the Word of God. You put the Word of God first. Now you be careful before you change anything that we've committed to your trust because there better be a tsunami of evidence before you overthrow what we've done. And it better be from God's Word only. We don't care if we're laughed to scorn or if you're laughed to scorn by every other Christian in the world. You hold fast to God's Word. Does Hezekiah look scared? No, he wasn't scared. He did everything with all his might. He ordered plenty of music and singing. And it's described in verses 25 down through 30. Look at, look at verse 27, the first three words. And Hezekiah commanded. He ordered this worship service to progress in the first month of his reign. Verse 28, and all the congregation worshiped. These are the princes and rulers of Judah. And the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And it takes a while to burn an animal, but they're just blasting away and worshiping God. Verse 29, and when they had made an end of offering, the king and all that were present with him bowed themselves and worshiped. He loved to worship the Lord. Do you love to worship the Lord? This is the most important day of the week, and this is the most important event of your most important day. To be in the house of the Lord and to worship Him. Set this day up. It's not your birthday. It's the Lord's day that's most important. Be like Hezekiah. He doesn't need to prosper us. He's already prospered us. And because He's God, He's worthy of this kind of worship. But you know what? He does prosper men that worship Him this way. And if you want prosperity in your life, in your home, in your marriage, in your marriage bed, with your children, on the job, in your soul, then this is the way you conduct yourself. With zeal for the worship of God. He loves to be worshipped. And I love to worship Him. And I hope you love to worship Him. I hope I'm a little tiny bit like Hezekiah. Verses 31 through 35 tells the people after he brought the offerings for the nation, the kingdom, the sanctuary, he tells them, now you can bring your offerings. And they brought too many. He didn't have enough sanctified priests to flay them all, so he had to get some of the Levites involved to flay them. Isn't that wonderful? When there's more giving than you can handle, praise the Lord because they're following his lead. So in verse 35, they offered burnt offerings in abundance with the fat of the peace offerings and the drink offerings for every burnt offering. So the service of the house of the Lord was set in order in the first month of his reign. That is zeal. Brethren, do you love Hezekiah for what is written of him in Second Chronicles 29? Amen. This event is not described except in summary fashion in verses 3 through 8 of Second Kings 18. This is not described in Isaiah 36 through 39, this is unique right here. This is his reformation. That's in the first month. Now that he has the house of God sanctified, and he's got some priests sanctified, he calls together the priests, the princes, and the rulers of the people, and he says, you know what? Moses commanded a Passover to be kept every year. This nation hasn't been keeping the Passover. I say 
that we have the greatest Passover that's been seen in a long time. I say that we send posts to all 12 tribes and invite them to come to Jerusalem where the Passover ought to be observed and let's observe it. Verse 2, because it tells us the king had taken counsel and his princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at that time in the first month because the priests had not sanctified themselves sufficiently, neither had the people gathered themselves together to Jerusalem. There were two reasons. First of all, let me back up. The Passover was to be kept in the first month. But the first month has passed. There's two re- They didn't have enough priests to keep it. And they hadn't had a chance to invite the people to make the long trip to Jerusalem for the Passover. So for those two reasons, they're going to push it into the second month. Now, he had taken counsel. Whenever you ask, how did Hezekiah get away with observing an important feast of the Lord in a date other than prescribed? Because he took counsel about it, and it was only out of zeal not out of convenience or anything else. It was zeal for God. Do you know what his dilemma was? If I don't do it in the second month, I've got to wait 11. Right. And the blessed God of heaven and this ordinance of his is too important to wait 11. We'll ask counsel. Do you know what kind of counselors he had? Now, I've hinted. If you were, yeah. Thank you. Were they decent counselors? Yeah. Isaiah, Hosea, and Micah. He took counsel. That's wisdom, young men. There's a lesson. There's a lesson. In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. In a multitude of counselors, every plan can be established. Zeal must be guided in good things, and so he took counsel about this matter. And the thing pleased the king and all the congregation in verse 4. So in verse 5, they established a decree to make proclamations throughout all Israel, all 12 tribes, Because the Passover hadn't been kept for a long time. Zeal is good, but zeal must always be guided according to God's word. Do you know that King Saul got zealous one time, and he thought he would go and kill some Gibeonites that Joshua had made a poor treaty with? But Joshua had made a treaty. But King Saul went and killed the Gibeonites. And God wrecked vengeance on Israel because of that misguided zeal. His Passover. God is merciful, brethren, when there's a good reason. A man died when David moved the Ark of the Covenant on a new ox cart because David didn't need to use a new ox cart. There was no exigency, emergency, or pressing circumstances whatsoever. He presumptuously and foolishly used a new ox cart, and so God killed a man named Uzzah. David understood at another time in his life that he was able to go in and eat the showbread because there was an exigency, an emergency, pressing circumstances in his life that his men were hungry. And that is the difference. To do it presumptuously, you get stoned to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. Numbers chapter 30. To do it mercifully for the zeal of God and for your comfort, if your heart is right, there's mercy. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Hezekiah had only one intention. I don't want to wait 11 months. God's worth more than that. He deserves better than that, as I've preached to you before. And so he does it in the second month, but he took counsel, and the people are excited, and they send a decree, 
and a proclamation throughout the whole land of the twelve tribes. Verse 6 tells us, So the posts went with the letters from their king. And he's got a message for all of them. This is a 25-year-old young man who is barely into office, and he is going to sit in judgment on ten tribes who were a military threat against the two tribes. Listen to some of his tender words. In the middle of verse 6, Ye children of Israel, turn again unto the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and he will return to the remnant of you that are escaped out of the hand of the kings of Assyria. And be not like your fathers and like your brethren, which trespassed against the Lord God of their fathers, who therefore gave them up to desolation, as ye see. Now be not stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves unto the Lord. And he goes on to describe it. Now remember, they already know he's not following his father, and it should have given them encouragement. But young man, here comes a lesson. When you take a stand for righteousness, and you take a stand for reformation, and you take a stand for godliness and zeal toward the house of the Lord, look what happened to the posts that took the proclamation in the last part of verse 10. They laughed them to scorn and mocked them. The ten tribes laughed to scorn about the worship that's being restored in Jerusalem. They were content with their two golden calves in Dan and Bethel. They were content with Samaria being their capital city. They didn't want to hear about Judah. That division was too great for them. There should be no division too great for us when the true worship of God is involved. Never let anything hold you back from worshiping God with all your heart and all your might according to the word of God. They laughed him to scorn. I hope you'll remember that. I hope you'll remember that. I hope you'll remember that. Do you know what happened eight years later to those ten tribes? King Shalmaneser entered into Israel. An Assyrian king before Sennacherib. And he laid waste to the ten tribes and took them captive. And their nation was over and has never been restored. Because they would not hear. They had a golden opportunity eight years before judgment came. Then they knew that Hezekiah was a great king. You know, the ones that weren't killed and were hauled off into captivity, they would have read in the newspapers and seen on the Internet that 185,000 choice Assyrian soldiers were killed without Hezekiah lifting a sword. But they refuse to hear. What do you refuse to hear? Whatever I preach about child training, whatever I preach about submitting to your husband, whatever I preach about loving your wife, whatever I preach about financial prudence, whatever I preach about diligence on the job, whatever I preach about forgiving and getting rid of bitterness toward anyone, what is it that you, that you won't listen to? What, you, what won't you hear? You're choosing your own destruction. You must love death. Proverbs 8.36. That just makes me sick right there. But young men, I want to tell you something. When you take a stand for the Lord Jehovah and righteous religion, don't you care who mocks you. There's a bunch of carnal Christians today that think we're a bunch of nutcases that worship here. We We don't celebrate Christmas. We don't have musical instruments. We believe in election. 
and so on and so forth. And so they mock us and laugh us to scorn. That should just encourage you, brethren. It should just encourage you. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.13, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus, it's verse 12, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When you get zealous, those that aren't zealous are going to make fun of you because they're condemned and they're convicted and they're blinded by the God of heaven. Don't let that move you, young men. But look at what verse 11 tells us. Nevertheless, in spite of a lot of scorning going on, nevertheless, divers, many different ones out of Asher and Manasseh and of Zebulun, humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. They left their nation. They left their tribal inheritance. They left their families and friends. They humbled themselves. Let's go have a Passover again according to the law of Moses. Young men, when you show some zeal for the things of God, some will mock, but the 7,000 will come out of hiding. And we want this church to be a beacon of light in the world that will bring the 7,000 out of hiding in various places where they will get a little bit of encouragement and a little bit of hope from finding out what we believe and what we practice in this church. The 7,000 will come out of hiding. And so they came to Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. There assembled a great crowd there in Jerusalem. And look what verse 12 tells us. Also in Judah, the hand of God was to give them one heart to do the commandment of the king and of the princes. Is every word of God important? Is a king's word good enough? A king's word is only good enough if the last clause of that verse is true. By the word of the Lord. Read carefully. Never skip anything in the Bible. The king's orders and the king's commandments and the prince's commandments were by the word of the Lord, verse 12, strictly according to the Bible, as how Hezekiah and his princes were ordering things to be done. And notice, because a young man has stood up, a remnant has come out of Israel and Judah all together, A people who have been divided for many years have one heart to keep the king's commandment according to the word of God. Faithfulness and zeal brings God's blessing of revival. When a good example of godliness and truth exists, God will bless it. It will bring the hidden ones out of hiding. It will, God will add to the work. A very great congregation came together. For the greatest of Passover celebrations in verses 13 through 20. This crowd feeding on Hezekiah's zeal before they ate the Passover tells us in verse 14 that they were so worked up by his zeal. Look what it says. They arose and took away the altars that were in Jerusalem and all the altars for incense took they away and cast them into the brook Kydron. They didn't care about polluting the water supply. They were just going to get rid of every ugly thing that was in Jerusalem before they had the Passover. Hezekiah prayed for them all because they weren't sanctified in time. Everything was happening so suddenly that there were people partaking of the Passover that weren't properly prepared for the Passover. And so Hezekiah appeals to the Lord, we trust by counsel again, because the Lord blessed his appeal that the good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God. It's verse 19. 
And the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, and the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. God heard Hezekiah's prayer. The good Lord pardon everyone whose heart is right in the matter, though we don't have enough time to get everything ready exactly the way the law of Moses described it. He wasn't presumptuously sinning. He was presumptuously seeking to worship God with a glorious Passover. And he asked the Lord to forgive, and the Lord did forgive. This celebration was so great. Look at what it says in verse 21. The children of Israel that were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That's another name for the Passover, because for the seven days of the Passover, you couldn't eat leavened bread. You had to eat unleavened bread, and you killed the Passover on the first evening. They kept it seven days with what? What did they keep it with? Great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with loud instruments unto the Lord. Great gladness. God loves great gladness in his worship and great joy and great rejoicing. And when a young man like Hezekiah is setting these things in order as fast as he can, and he has the right music, and the right music is what we sing in this church. That is the right music. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs of a sober, reverent way of worship with godly fear. What the New Testament prescribes. We don't sing to entertain. Although when your heart's in the right place, our singing is entertaining. Our singing is encouraging. And our singing is uplifting. If you don't like it, there's lots of churches that have your kind of music. Go enjoy them. It's not according to the New Testament. There is a distinct difference. We worship with reverence and godly fear. We couldn't care less about any kind of beat, any kind of sound, any kind of popularity. It's wrong. That's why it's popular. But there's great music going on here, and they're all having such a wonderful time that the whole assembly took counsel. The whole assembly said, it's over too fast. You know, you complain about a two-hour service or a four-hour time together here on the Lord's Day. Seven days together, worshiping God, and they said it's too short. Let's keep it another seven days. The whole council, the whole congregation, in verse 23, took counsel to keep seven more days, and they kept other seven days with gladness. It doesn't sound like anybody wanted to get home to watch a football game on that seventh day, because they stayed there for the 8th, the 10th, the 12th, and the 14th, with great gladness. And they just continued right on, worshiping the Lord. And Hezekiah provided for their food by giving a thousand bullocks and seven thousand sheep, in verse 24, which caused the princes to give a thousand bullocks and ten thousand sheep. That's a lot of eating. That's, that's a lot of eating right there for 14 days. And all the congregation of Judah... And of the Levites, and all the congregation that came out of Israel, and the strangers that came out of the land of Israel, and that dwelt in Judah, the last word of verse 25, rejoiced. Verse 26, so there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there was not the like in Jerusalem. There had not been this kind of a worship service in many years. Since Solomon's dedication to the temple, because from there he went down. And here it is. Great joy. How did it all start? 
one 25-year-old in a position of authority with a great deal of zeal for the worship of God going about his business on the first day that he has an opportunity to do it. Right. Travis, Matthew, Joel, and every other one of you young men that may not be quite 25, this is what we have in the Word of God. Verse 27, here's what happens when people worship like this. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people. And their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place, even unto heaven. What a worship service. It pleased the Lord, and it came up into heaven. And he heard, and he saw, and he blessed, and he received it. Whether he ever blessed us or not, we, we shouldn't care. All we should care is that we give him the kind of worship that is worthy to come up into heaven, even to his holy dwelling place, and that would please him. Verse 31, I mean chapter 31, excuse me, is a chapter that describes the continual efforts of Hezekiah to put all these things into practice. To en- He encourages God's preachers in verses 2 through 4 about making sure that the gifts are given to support the Levites and the priests. Look at the last clause of verse 4, that they might be encouraged in the law of the Lord. The people gave so much because of Hezekiah's zeal and his great example that there were huge heaps of it found in Jerusalem. And Hezekiah had to come out and say, Levites, have you stopped doing your job? It's your job to distribute all this, all these gifts that the people are giving to the Levites and priests scattered throughout the twelve tribes. You're supposed to be taking care. We have taken care of them. The people are giving too much. Every single one's been taken care of, and these are just leftovers. Oh, well then build storehouses for them. And that's chapter 31. Hezekiah commanded storage to be built and ordered portions to be distributed to the priests because he didn't want this to end, and he knew the basis for it. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Amen. He wanted the word of God to continue to go forth. And so he wanted the priests encouraged. And there's three chapters unique to Chronicles, not found in Isaiah or Kings, that tell us about a 25-year-old full of zeal for the house of God and the worship of the Lord Jehovah. Every young man in here, you have a choice. You'll walk out of here today. You'll walk out of here in a moment for the break we have between our assemblies. The things you speak of, the things you think about, what you do today, tomorrow, this next week, determines whether you're like Hezekiah or not, or you're just a loser. You may not be king. You don't have to be king to have a heart full of zeal for the worship of God. May the Lord bless you to have that heart, and may God prepare your hearts, and may God stir up other hearts, And may your example to this church stir us all up. Amen.